0: And amen. Uh, once again, we're continuing in our expository study in the epistle of Galatians. What is this? Fifth? Seven? Amen. Seven. Gets away from you after a while. Uh, seven weeks into this, if you've missed any of these, you can actually go to the Cross Life Fellowship Church YouTube channel, and all of those are available there for, uh, for viewing, for download, whatever you want to do with them. Uh, make you a little booklet, sell it for 45 cents online, whatever people do anymore. Amen. But they're available there for you to get caught up if you haven't been with us. And you're, you're not too far behind as far as uh, verses go, uh, but you're just a few weeks behind that you can catch up on that. Uh, folks, listen, what we've been doing so far in our study in the epistle or this letter to the Galatians, we've examined really some critical points. And If you're taking notes, you can write these down. I'll give you an A, B, C, D, and E if you're going to write in that way. Uh, one of the things we've talked about and looked at is the reason for the writing of this letter. And it was really written in a uh, kind of to uh, counteract or Correct the error that had been established in the deception, really, by by those that had come into the church. You know, we we revealed who those were in our one of our early classes, talking about the Judaizers that came in and they wanted to, to reintroduce some some the legalistic principles under the law into a people that had been exposed to the the gospel of grace. And so we got the reason for this letter, but we also were talking about the the relevance of this letter today. You know, we see a lot of the same thing that we combat. Uh, and obviously additional error uh, that has come into the church that we've got to stand against. We look at what uh, uh, Paul the Apostle addressed here in Galatians. We also look at those false teachers that Jude speaks of. And throughout the new covenant, we, we see when God introduces a truth that's going to set men free, that there's always an adversary out there that wants to bring people back under bondage. Folks, listen, we've been given a liberty through the blood of Jesus Christ, and there's there's all kinds of things that bring us back into bondage. There's compromise that brings us into, into bondage. There's unbelief, obviously, that brings us into bondage. But there's also false teaching that also brings us into bondage. Folks, listen, you can paint a chain pink, and it's still a chain. You hear what I'm saying? And so it doesn't matter how you dress up or how you decorate bondage. Bondage is bondage is bondage. So the relevance of today is if we've been made free by the blood of Jesus and through faith in the finished work of the cross of Calvary, and we've been made free indeed, let's stay free. Amen, let's learn to stay free. And let's not begin again and tangled in that same yoke of bondage. So we see the relevance of today. Also, we talked about the rebuke that was offered by this letter uh, because of really they're vacating the gospel and embracing another gospel, which Paul said it's not even gospel or good news at all. And so you've traded it off for something that was just a pirated or a counterfeit form of something, and it never delivered upon its promise. And so we saw the rebuke. But tonight what we're going to look at is the revelation or the unveiling of the truth that's really associated with Paul's message and, and, or doctrine and why this really is essential uh, in dealing with these issues. You, you know, I, I use the term that when we're talking about revelation, it's essential. But at the same time it's essential, it's also problematic. You ever notice that those things in your life that are essential sometimes are problematic as well? That is as necessary as they are, by reason of necessity, they bring problems in because you can't do without them. So you just got to deal with it. You've got to deal with the issues associated with it. And so if there's a truth that comes into our life, that then we've got to accept that truth. Okay, so I could say to you that you know that Jesus Christ came to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Anybody want to believe that? Amen if I put my faith in him, if I'm faithful to confess my sins, that he's faithful and he's just to forgive me my sins. Not just forgive me my sins, but to do what? To cleanse me from all unrighteousness. So he takes all the unrighteousness out of my way. Is that something to rejoice over? That's good. That's a great truth. But it's also very problematic for many people. Because we like that first point and we get hung up on it that he cleanses, that he forgives us of for our sins. But what about that second aspect of that truth that we say amen to until we begin to think about the requirements of it, that he also cleanses us from all unrighteousness? In other words, he takes those unrighteousness of uh, the unrighteousness, compromise the compromising excuses out of our life. And so if we're cleansed from unrighteous uh, unrighteousness, what does that mean? That we're free from the bondage of those things. So no longer do I have the fallback to say, listen, you know what? Man, I'm saved by grace through faith. Jesus Christ forgives me of all, all my sins. Jesus Christ cleansed me of all unrighteousness. But I'm still gonna I'm gonna still act like he didn't. You see the, how problematic that is. And so we fall back and we digress to really a, the same bondage that was they were falling back into and says, Listen, I'm just a poor old sinner saved by grace. Now just this a couple of weeks ago. Either we're saved or we're a sinner. The Bible doesn't have the split personality that's presented. He says you cannot serve two masters. You'll end up loving one, I'm going to love sin unto death, or I'm going to love God unto righteousness. And so you see what I'm talking about. When he presents this, it's a great revelation, and it's, and it's very revealing, it's very essential, but it's problematic because with the necessity of faith in the finished work of the cross, There's the problem that I've got to believe it, and I've got to walk in it, that no longer is it I that lives, but Christ Jesus who lives inside of me. In a few weeks, we're going to talk about, really, the and get into the repudiation of those errors and why those things are so essential. But tonight, what we're going to deal with is we're going to deal with the revelation that he got, and we're going to deal with it in two parts. The first part is going to cover uh, verses 11 and 12. Uh, The second part, which I'm talking that we're going to uh, cover it tonight, and you know what? What does that mean? That? don't mean a whole lot until we actually do it. And so the first part we're going to be talking about and dealing primarily with Paul's certification as to where that revelation of the cross originated and why it's so significant. So if you're writing that down, part one, verses 11 and 12, We're going to deal with his certification as to where that revelation of the cross originated and why it's so important as to where it originated. Folks, listen, there's a lot of things going around and a lot of things that have gone around. Even you just take the last couple of hundred years, the things that have so-called revelation that were presented. You can look at false religions that have arisen. Look at the revelation that Joseph Smith got that birthed the Mormon church. Well, what was the origin of that? And, and and what did it produce? Well, the origin of it, obviously, if you've studied the Mormon faith, you, you find out that the origin could not have been divine because it speaks contrary to this word. And so anything that claims to have a divine origin but speaks contrary to the word cannot because God is not two-faced. God is not double-minded. God does not have two ways about it. He said, I am the Lord God. And I do not change. There's no variableness in him. And so he is who he said he was, and he's always going to be just that. Or if it was the revelation of Charles Taz Russell, who was instrumental in in birthing the Jehovah Witness Church and all the false prophecies, he claimed to have had a revelation. And so I can measure those those revelations. And if my revelation is in the divine, I'm talking about a revelation that transcends time, space, transcends culture. It contains no error. It contains no deviation whatsoever. And so the importance of looking at Paul's revelation is going back to that source. And so if my source is heaven, if my source is divine, there's something I can count on. Why? Because it's not going to be any different a thousand years from now than it was a thousand years ago. You hear me? So that's why it isn't so important. So let's look at Galatians chapter 1, verses 11 and 12 tonight, if you have your Bibles. And here's what he says in verse 11. He said, Dear brothers and sisters, I want you to understand that the gospel message that I preach is not based on mere human reasoning. That's what he said. The gospel that I preach is not based upon mere human reasoning. In verse 12, he said, I received my message from no human source and no one taught me. Instead, I received it by direct revelation. From Jesus Christ. Where would he get it? Direct revelation from Jesus Christ. So he came, he asserted that. He asserted that truth to them. Another translation of King James reads, it's very similar. He said, I certify to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man. For if I received of man, neither was it taught of man, but by revelation of Jesus Christ. So he is asserting, he is certifying what the source was of this revelation that he got. So everything that flows From that source, out of that revelation, has got to be uh, in agreement with what God's word has said. Folks, listen, I've got 31,101 words here or or, or verses here in 1,179 chapters in that 66 books that we call a canon of scripture that speak in agreement. They speak a, a, a unified word. And if somebody comes bringing a revelation that does not echo from that same truth, folks, I know what I can do with it. I can just throw that word away. Why? Because God is always going to speak with a singular voice for a singular purpose. And so I'm going to give you tonight seven truths that we need to come away with tonight from those two verses just alone. Seven specific truths that you need to consider, not just in studying the the historical account of his letter to the Galatians, but how that's relevant for you today how that's relevant for me today, how that will keep you uh, in in alignment with God's word, with God's desire, and God's voice in your life. So the first thing is, is the necessity of recognizing the authority of the Apostle Paul's message or to certify it or to understand it. And so I've got to come to the point that I'm going to believe That message. That's my first point. I've got to come away with the fact that Paul the the apostle is bringing a message, and I have got to recognize the authority of the one bringing that message. Folks, listen. It's kind of easy if somebody walks up to you, even as parents and myself now as a a grandparent. You know, if somebody just walked up to one of my children when they were little, walked up to, to Jared. He's obviously not little anymore. But if they'd have walked up to him at six or eight years old and they'd have given him instructions and he didn't recognize them, the chances are he would not have obeyed them. It wouldn't have mattered how old they were or how tall they were or, or if they were wearing a suit or if they had a badge on. Chances are he would not have recognized that authority in them. He would have said, listen, I don't know you. You're not my dad. You can't tell me what to do. How many kids have ever said that? You can't tell me what to do. You're not my daddy, right? And so in order to obey the authority, we've got to recognize the place because somebody could come to Alyssa over here. Her daddy's obviously Pastor Thomas Derrick from Daytona Beach, Florida, and somebody came to her and said, listen, I want you to do this. And she's going to say to them, well, listen, you can't tell me that because you're not my daddy. Now, it wouldn't even matter if her daddy told her the same thing. Because just by the weight of who that message came from is going to give validity to that message. So we've got to believe that. The second thing is this: is this isn't a gospel that's being offered. Okay, Paul the apostle isn't saying, "Listen, guys, I've come back to you because you know I I I birthed you in the gospel, I raised up these churches." So I'm not coming to you telling you that I'm offering you something. What I'm telling you is I'm coming to reveal something to you, and there's a big difference because we think to ourselves, "You know what? Listen." I think I'm going to go try out church for a while. I'm going to try out Jesus for a while. Folks, listen. Jesus isn't something we try out. You hear me? Jesus is somebody that came down in the form of sinful flesh and for sin and hung upon a cross. And he said, you can come to me and you can believe. You don't just try it before you buy it. It's not something that you're going to look deeper into. You're either going to come to him by a divine revelation, a drawing of the Holy Spirit, seeing your heart and life change. So what you're going to find yourself on is this perpetual looking for another answer. Folks, listen, when I legitimately got born again, I'm not talking religious. I've been religious before that. But when I legitimately got born again over three decades ago, listen, there was no looking for another answer. And so when I talk to people and they say, listen, have you? I know you're a Christian, you've been a Christian a long time, but have you ever looked into such and such? Well, why on earth would I want to look into such and such? You know, I've been married also 30 years. And people say, well, I know you have a good wife. I know she's a blessed woman. I know you really love her and you've had children and, 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 and grandchildren. But have you ever thought about such and such? Now, we would think about that and see what's so ridiculous. What do you mean? Why on earth would I want to go check out somebody else when I've already got somebody that's bone in my bone and flesh of my flesh? Well, your wife's really nice, but you know what? That girl over there, she's nice too. You know, your wife has really stood by you, but don't you think that other person could stand by you too? Folks, we see that as ridiculous. But folks, once you've come to the knowledge of the truth, and you've tasted of that, uh, that that heavenly gift, and you've you've known Jesus, for somebody to come and offer you something else is just as ridiculous as somebody coming and trying to offer you a substitute for the wife of your youth. You hear what I'm saying? But we've got to come back and recognize it as such that we're not looking for a better deal. We're not looking for a deeper revelation. We've got a revelation that comes from Jesus Christ, the Lord God Almighty, revealed by the Holy Spirit of power and of truth. And I don't have to seek out anything else because I've already got it. The only people seeking for something else is the people that have not come to the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's why I say it isn't a gospel being offered. It's a revelation of truth where the scales have been pulled back, and you're looking into that perfect law of liberty. That's the essential element. The third one is the fact that it was Paul chosen of God, and so we've also got to understand that, that he was chosen not of man. He didn't go to the right seminary. He didn't get the right job or have the right title. But he was a man that was chosen specifically by God for a specific person. And fourthly, the teaching is not merely man's interpretation or best effort to understand God. That's going to be real key. We're looking a little bit deeper. And so it's not man just uh, getting his interpretation. That's just the way you see it. or, Or that's just, that is a way of looking at it. No, that isn't a way of looking at it. What Paul's going to give us is the only way of looking at it. Do you hear me tonight? so the fifth thing is the apostle didn't get his information from looking around for the best sources. He didn't say, listen, let me try this, and let me look into that, and let me just kind of combine all these things together, and I'm going to take the best of both worlds. Folks, listen, I I run into those coexist people all the time. They say, listen, I'm not quite a Christian, but, you know, I like some of the teachings of Jesus. I'm not quite a Buddhist, but, you know what, there's some principles of Buddhism that I brought into my life. I'm I'm not quite a a Muslim, but there's some aspects of Islam that I think are important. So what I've done is I've taken all those things together, and I've made me a God that I can follow. Now, what you've done is you've created a monster that you'll never be able to control because the second you don't agree with some of those components, what you're going to do is you're going to pull those components out, and you're going to plug something else into it. So there's no consistency. There's no continuity to it. And finally, uh, number six, the message being preached was not passed to him from other people. And so this wasn't like a big game of telephone where you tell something in somebody's ear over here and by the time it gets over there, it's something totally different. He received this directly. It wasn't no middleman, some intermediary. It wasn't that he went to the right teachers or anything else. He got this message direct. In seventh, this word is revelatory in that while the work had been done, the full understanding was still hidden prior to this unveiling. So the finished work of the cross was a finished work of the cross. So when Jesus said it's finished, just because he said it was finished doesn't mean it was totally revealed. He did what he needed to do, and so he raised up a voice to begin to share that message with people. So let's dive into Galatians 1.11. He says, but I certify unto you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after men. So, folks, listen, up to this point. Really, the address has primarily been from Paul. is as astonishment. You remember what he said? He said, I, I marvel that you're so removed from this gospel into another gospel which is not a gospel at all. I'm perplexed. I'm, I'm stupefied that you, you've got the best thing and you're still looking for something else. So he, he, he saw that the people had abandoned genuine faith and allowed themselves to be lured really back into these clutches of this false gospel that has promised freedom but really all it brought was more bondage. A bondage to something else that had already been set free from. So now what the apostle's doing, he, he's really uh, probably uh, uh, building what could be called a thesis. Some of you folks that have, have done advanced education or, or even some of you that were had to write a, a term paper. Anybody ever have to write a term paper? And So you write a, a thesis or you write a term uh, uh, a paper. It's something that is the definitive, defensive position. That's what it is. You are required to write a very definitive, a defensive position. In other words, once you're finished writing that paper, once you establish that thesis is what Paul's doing, there shouldn't be any questions as to what you believe, and there should not be any question about the source of your authority in declaring those things. That's why when you write a thesis, what you have to footnote those things. You got to tell where all the credibility came from. You just can't write it and say, well, here it is and you just got to take it at face value. Paul the Apostle is saying, I'm not telling you to take it at face value. He said, the footnote that I'm giving you, I'm giving you the source, and the source is God himself revealed by the person of the Holy Spirit. And so you've you've done a term paper, you've done a thesis, you've had to establish your mastery on a subject matter, and that's really what we're going to be looking at tonight. And so the remainder of chapter 1 and the whole chapter 2 is going to be that whole thesis. He's going to be describing and and providing us a model for defending our case and defending the faith which we've heard. I certify to you, brethren, that the gospel that was preached to you is not after man, but it's after God. And so the central question that's being confronted here is this. Why should Paul's gospel be considered the gospel? With everything else that may have come down the pike, these people that had come onto the scene, why is it? that what Paul the Apostle is about to tell the church at Galatia, why on earth should it be considered the gospel? Why not another gospel? Why not some other way? Why not another way that might incorporate some of the same ideology or some of the same words or the same truths or even some of the same central characters? Why not another one? And, and, And the second thing is, is it mandatory that there's only one gospel? Is it mandatory? So these are the questions. Or if so, why not some other teaching that could be considered the gospel rather than this one. And so when you're looking at the word of God, when you're looking at the, the the redemptive promise that God gave us through his son, Jesus, he really makes it really easy. It's not this all roads lead to Rome. And you know what? Uh, the God of Christianity and the God of Islam and the God of this one, you know, we all talking about this higher power. They're all the same. Folks, I got news for you. They're not all the same. Listen, the the, the 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 Jesus that came down and bore my sins and sorrows upon the cross of Calvary, wounded for my transgressions, bruised for my iniquities, chastised for my peace, he's not the same Jesus that was the brother of Lucifer that just happened to have drawn the right colored bean and got to be the God of this world like Mormonism teaches. That's not who he is. You hear me? He's not the creative being that, that, that only existed from the, the time of his birth that the Jehovah Witnesses teach. He's not that guy. He's not just the good prophet of Islam. He is the Lord God Almighty revealed in the flesh. He is Emmanuel. And if he's anything other than that, it's another gospel. And so it's got to be central to that. Why are those things important? So the manner in which the apostle Paul addresses this is aimed to answer the question and to eliminate any genuine challenge to the nature of that truth. He said, listen, I'm going to give you something that you're not going to be able to challenge where that truth came from. I'm going to, I'm going to introduce you to some things that are going to remove all the questions out of the way. And he does this by establishing the foundation of the message upon divine origin upon divine origin folks listen i told you that was essential but i also told you it was problematic and, and, and let me give you a personal example of that i have people come to me all the time and they say hey listen pastor i want to talk to you about something and you know i want to get your input on this and they're, they're going to tell me something that they feel like maybe that they need to do or what they believe and when they start out and they say listen i, I want to share something with you that god told me well they they basically said listen I'm coming to you not to get your input, but I'm just coming to you to tell you something. Because once somebody begins to establish something upon divine origin, they're saying, listen, there's no wiggle room. And so if you come to me and, and you say, listen, I want to, I want, I want to share you something that God told me, and He told me that I need to do such and such, what do you think? Well, what does it matter what I think? Are you looking for a second opinion? If I went to the, the, the greatest physician in, in New Orleans to get uh, – there was a specialist in a certain thing that was going on in, in, in my body, and he tells me, here's what the problem is, here's what you need to do. Am I going to go look for a veterinarian to say, listen, I know the greatest specialist, everyone, the guy that everyone looks up to said this, and, and I'm going to go to a veterinarian because you've got some pretty good dogs over here, and I need to get your opinion. Am I ever going to do that? So it's essential to have the divine origin, but it's problematic because a lot of people will throw around divine origin that's really not divine origin. And we see that spoken of in in Jeremiah, talking about pastors and, and people that speak for God when God really didn't speak but Paul's going to eliminate those questions. Why? Because he's going to give a word that stood the test of time. Today, I can testify that by that word is true, because I was changed, and I was transformed, and I was set free by the blood of Jesus. I've never seen a reason to turn back to look for a better source, to look for a better way. Why? Because Jesus Christ became that singular way, that singular truth, that singular life, and there's no way to the Father except by Him. If I enter in any other way, the Bible calls me a thief, and it calls me a robber. you hear me? So that's the central truth that was certified in that that he had to establish. So he gives that. He goes right to the source. He eliminates the middleman and declares that this gospel, the doctrine, this teaching, the truth was by direct revelation of God. You he, he said you can't go above it, you can't appeal it to a higher court in order to try to somehow distract from the truth. That's it. That's the final verdict. The gavel has been stricken against the the podium. He said it is done, or that is where the buck stops. Folks, I like to live where the buck stops. Don't you? Don't you just like somebody just to tell you where it is? Or do you like to be in relationships with people that says you never know where they quite stand? Well, brother, I know what you're saying, but what did you really mean by that? Is there some clandestine thing that you're saying in the, in the background? And it's, it's, it's all this, this, this innuendo. And you really like me? Are we really okay? Or are you just saying that because that just works for the moment? Folks, I want to live where the buck stops. You hear me? I want to know what God requires of me. And the only way that I know what God requires of me is go to the source, go to that word, that that new news source, that, that God-breathed word that's profitable for correction, reproof, instruction, and in righteousness. I'm going to that source and that's what I'm going to draw from. You hear me, and so that's where the butt stops. And so when Paul begins to make this case or to build up his thesis, what he's doing is fact saying any effort that's given out there to subvert this teaching would be akin to a contempt of court by uh, by defying the ultimate judge's ruling in the case. That's it. You can't you can't touch this. And I'm not trying to be MC Hammer, okay? See, folks, you know what it's like? It's like back, what was it, the summer of 2012, and we were arrested for preaching the gospel on, on Bourbon Street. They they took us into custody and they arrested us. And but just within a, a few days, our attorneys uh filed a lawsuit against the, the city of New Orleans and and the, the police chief, the mayor, I mean they got everybody uh, uh named in this suit, and within just a, a few hours. We had a temporary restraining order against the city, the mayor, and and, and against the police captain that they could not touch us, okay? They arrested us for preaching on Bourbon Street. Now we could go out there. Well, that thing was never vacated. They, 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 They lost the case. And so ever since then, what happens? I go out there and preach. Police still walk by. They don't ever stop me. Why? Because a judge that was bigger than those, those clowns that got together in the French Quarter Association and said, listen, let's pass a law so we don't have to listen to truth on Bourbon Street. Well, a, a bigger judge, a judge in the, in the, in the, in, in the district court says, listen, you can't make those kind of claims. And I'm going to tell you you can't because I'm going to let them preach out there. They're going to be able to have their amplification. They're going to be able to stand out here and there's nothing that you can do to stop them. So what happened? I'm still preaching. Do you hear me? Why? Because a higher court ruled. And the only way that they could vacate that court's ruling is to go above them to to maybe the the sixth court of of, of of appeals or to the Supreme Court. But as it stands, the highest court in this area, in this jurisdiction, has said he can preach. And you know what? I just keep on preaching. And so it's the same thing when we come to Christ. We, we go to that very highest court, and there's no going above his head. And so it doesn't matter if you don't like it. Well, I don't like the fact that you come to Christ and now you can't just do your own thing. Well, he should he should still allow us we should still be able to have all the fun we want to have. Well you can do whatever you want to. You hear me? You have that choice, but there's gonna be a consequence to it. You know what there's nothing on the planet that's keeping a rogue officer from walking up to me, preaching the gospel, slapping some handcuffs on me, and dragging me to the to the to the jailhouse. Nothing to stop him from doing that. Well, there's going to be something that affects him afterwards. Why? Because he's going to be held in contempt. He could say, well, I didn't know. They're going to say it doesn't matter if you know. You should have found out before you started exercising a right that you don't have. Folks, it's the same thing with us. Christ Jesus gave that final verdict, that divine source, that revelation for the redemptive plan of man was given to us, and there's no going above his head. So here's what he said. He said, I certify. I certify this, and it's, it's a word that means to make something emphatically known. So Paul the apostle wasn't doing anything in a corner. He wasn't trying to say, listen, let me just give you another take on this. He's saying, listen, I want this to be emphatically known. I'm going to tell you something that you're not going to have any wiggle room uh, away from it. I'm going to give you something that it's going to be, it's going to be etched in stone. It's going to be ingrained in your heart and your mind. It's going to be something that you've got to see. In other words, he's saying, listen, I want to erase any doubts or I want to symbolically strike that gavel and make something the final word. So when Paul the apostle says, listen, I'm going to start this thesis with something really simple. By the time it's all said and done, no wiggle room. This is the way it is. So if anybody comes, bringing another false gospel again, listen, you're not going to be able to wiggle around it because I'm telling you right here, this is it. So if somebody comes and says, well, I know Paul was here a few years ago, but somebody else sent us to add a little something to that. He's saying, listen, emphatically, that's not going to happen. And so, But in addition to saying, I certify this, he adds the statement to the intended audience. He's speaking to somebody that that has weight to. Now, check this out. He says, I certify you to you, brethren. If you're reading the, the NLT, it says, dear brothers and sisters, I want you to understand something. So he says, I'm certifying or I'm issuing something to you or I'm making something emphatically known to you, brethren. Now, why do you think it's important that he said that? For the same reason, if somebody's going to correct Alyssa over here, it's going to be her daddy. It's going to be someone that has that type of relationship with her that's got the position to do so. And so the importance of brethren to the opening of this statement is in this thesis is because it appeals to them at the most intimate and familiar level possible. I'm going to speak from a place of familiarity. I'm going to speak from a place of intimacy with you. That way it's just like I'm not just somebody showing up on the scene that has the right words, that has the uh, the, uh, the, uh, the, the the right teaching or something familiar to you. He said, I'm showing up on the scene, and I'm going to speak to people that I know intimately. And he says this. He says, he says it is the adephos, which literally can be translated, I'm going to be talking to people that are from the same room. That's what he said, people that are from the same room. So he said, I certify to you that are from the same womb, what I'm about to tell you. And so he's saying, this is our joint birthright. We've got the same origin. We're the same adopted children of the same heavenly father. We're kindred. We're family. We've got the most intimate uh, uh, relationship in the internal sense of the word. And he says, we shared the same womb. We came from the same loins. We're the same people. We're family, is what he said. Now, I certify you by the gospel was preached, after the, after not, uh, preached not of me, but after man. Excuse me, not after man, but preached of Christ. Folks, why is it important that he called them brethren? Why do you think that's important? Any idea? Any idea? Set them apart? Set them apart, Set them apart to what? Here's why. That way you don't scratch your head and think, am I going to say the wrong thing and get rebuked or something? (laughs) Folks, here's what's important. What Paul was saying to them, he said, listen, you know me. You know me. Listen, I don't know who these other people that came in that are subverting the gospel, but you know me. You know who I am. He said, I'm not like those that were coming here after the fact and attempt to lure you away and lure you away from the faith. He says, I was here when no one else was here. I was here before they got here. I was here when nobody wanted to be here. Now they're going to come in once it's done. Now they're going to come in. Now they see something happening. Now they're going to see that you people who were, who were were not a people, you people that didn't know anything. Now that you're getting on the ball, now that you have something to offer, now that you're coming into alignment, now that you, you 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 got something happening in your life, now now you want to be a part of this. That's what do you say to them? And so he was saying, "Listen, I want you to know I was here when you were still messed up, folks. Listen, if you've been around, especially if you've been in the ministry and pastoring for any length of time, listen. There's people here in this room that I tell you what, when they showed up on the scene, man, you thought to yourself, man, I don't know where they're ever going to be." You know, I, I I I think about Gideon over here to to my left. Way that is Gideon for those that don't know you. You know, Gideon got saved at a at a uh, an outreach being done uh, by Raven East Coast at the time up there in, in York, Pennsylvania, out in the, the the jungle neighborhood. You were out in that place, and 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 he came and got connected. And what was it two thousand two thousand seven? All those years, nine years ago. Now I'm going to be honest with you. When he showed up that that young guy didn't have a whole lot to offer listen and i'm not just saying i mean he really didn't you know he he just he was unreliable not not because he was malicious in it he just man, he just man he just wasn't all there i'm thinking man his elevator didn't go all the way to the top man he he came here from africa but the rest of him stayed over there or something we need to get another ticket and get the rest of that boy sent over here. i mean because it wasn't clicking okay but now you meet him and i tell you what i told him many times i said brother listen in, in my mind i thought well he might just be a real nice kid and you know be that guy but man probably never more than that but you know what man he's not that guy anymore he's somebody that's trustworthy he's somebody that's reliable He's somebody that you don't have to have to question. He's he's not somebody I wonder what's going to I had to talk with him. We visited until early in the morning this morning. I was sharing with him just about just how proud I am of where he's come from. Now, he's the type of guy that man, any church would want him to be a part of it. College educated, you know, has a good job. He's solid people, he's semi-attractive. I mean, all these good things going. (laughs) But boy, after you cost me my hair and turned his gray, you ain't going nowhere. We were here with you, invested in your life when you did not have anything to offer. That's what Paul the apostle was saying. He was appealing to them. You know what? You want him now. You want him now. But why didn't you want him back then? So that's what Paul was appealing to. He was appealing to that relationship. You Weren't they valuable enough to you in the past because they were valued to me? So his thesis or his certification is not only built upon that historical context that validates his message, but it's also built upon the relational foundation that's an intimate part of every bit of it as well. There's an intimate part of my argument, of my basis for this conversation. And, folks, I'm reminded of 1 Corinthians 4.15. Also, Paul the apostle uh, uh Speaking, you can turn there, you can just write that down in your notes. And here's what he said from very familiar text. He said, for even if I had 10,000 others teach you about Christ, you only have one spiritual father. For I became your father in Christ when I preached to you the good news. You, you, you may have it in your Bible before in Christ, I have begotten you through the gospel. You're my offspring you've got my DNA. There's something about you that is kindred. There's something else that has come from my spiritual loins. You can have all the teachers. You can have all the people influencing, give them all the amens and say that was good. But at the end of the day, man, I know exactly what it's about. I was sharing with him uh, uh, last night about Pastor Alex and Holly. uh, They took the the, the ministry out in in, in Daytona when when we moved back here in 2010. And they called me one time and, and they were talking about you know, given the church a, a name that wasn't so raven. I'll just say it like that. And so they were talking about it, and they said, listen, we were thinking about it. And they gave me a few names, kind of colorful, neat names. Yeah, yeah, go for it, whatever you want to do. Then I remember going back months and months later, and they would had a new sign made. And so I was expecting to see this sign with, with whatever it was, like, you know, Church of Enlightenment. I don't know what it was. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think it said that or was even going to say that. And I noticed all it said was Raven Daytona. And I said, I thought you were changing the name of this. And they said, you know, we thought about it and thought it wouldn't hurt. But, man, we just can't get away from who we are. So they said, they just can't get away from who we are because they had never known anything else. And it's like, "Man, why fight it? Let's this, this just be who we are, and so that's what they did. Folks, it's the same thing. Listen, you you just can't get away from who you are, and that's what Paul the Apostle was saying. Listen, you can you can listen to something else, but at the end of the day, I mean, you've got to look inside of who you literally are, and so it becomes the battle of Paul's character versus the charisma of those who would infiltrate. Folks, you've seen people. We see people on television, on Christian television that are very charismatic people. I mean, really, there's somebody that, uh, even if you don't believe they're, 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 they're teaching, man, if, if they were selling you a car, man, you'd buy in a minute because they're very charismatic. But I want to give you a couple of, I want to contrast this for a second, the character of Paul versus the, the charisma of, of people that would come in and try to steer you away from the truth. Character is always built upon righteous motivation. It's always motivated right. Okay, There's a righteousness that comes that's going to produce a Christ-likeness in your life. But charisma is always established upon selfish desires, and so if I've got character, it's going to be built upon righteousness, and it really it's not it's not going to be looking for anything that's going to benefit me, it, it, though it's, it's very beneficial long term to have a relationship with God. It's not going to be like charisma, which is always just looking to reel somebody in. And it's the, the 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 hook of the crook, so to speak. Character appeals to the spirit, whereas charisma is always going to appeal to the flesh. Character costs us everything. Charisma offers us really nothing. Character produces things over time, but charisma only has its power in the moment. You've seen the people going to the store and they, they, they say, hey, come over here real quick. Come on. And They start giving you the sales, but you can't get away. Or How many of you have ever been called by a, a telemarketer? It's like, man, I can't. How do you hang up? I, I, I. Well, because they know if they don't get you in the moment, you're never going to call back. Do you hear what I'm saying? Or you go into the grocery store and they got all that stuff. What, what do they call it? The uh what's the terminology they use for those little apparatus huh? Impulse. They have the impulse racks that are there. It's like, oh, that's kinda interesting. You pick one up that you would have never bought before and you probably never use. But it just kind of looks it's it's packaged in a way to get you to do something at the moment. Character is internally grounded, charisma is externally displayed. So character is always built upon who you really are, whereas charisma is built upon a reputation that you can convey. Character continues into eternity, but charisma is always going to cease at the grave. Once the grave hits, charisma is gone, and you're going to stand before God and give an account. So Paul is not looking to produce some type of stump speech in order to promise a car in every garage and two chickens in every pot to the Galatians. He's not doing that whatsoever. He's saying to them, before you question what I'm about to say, First consider what you know about the one saying it. He's saying, I'm telling you something. But listen, before I even say anything, I want you to know and remember who I am. I want you to remember where I was when you weren't anybody. I want you to know who I am and what I displayed in your life. Not the guy that just happened to show up on the scene. I'm going to tell you the what, but I want you to look inside of my life, and I want you to see the who of who I am first. And so this is right in line, I believe, with the message of 1 Timothy 5.19. You need to turn to this and look at this real quick. 1 uh, Timothy 5.19, why, why that's important to establish that authority based upon that divine revelation. 1 Timothy 5.19. I'm going to give you this because probably without exception, everyone in this room at one time or another has been guilty of this. Do not listen to an accusation against an elder unless it's confirmed by two or three witnesses. 1 Timothy 5.19. In other words, somebody comes to you and say, man, can I talk to you, man? My, Man, my pastor at my church, man, oh, really? Tell me all about it. What have you done? You've done exactly what the word told you not to do. Well, they were just confiding in me. No, they were bringing an accusation against an elder without two or three witnesses. So I can dress up that gossip. I can dress up disobedience any way I want to, but that's what it is. Because what, would, what do you think would happen when somebody came to talk to you and said, listen, man, you know, man, i Pastor Sam did such and such, and they're dropping that in, and your ears perk up, and you say, Huh, really? What, what did he do? What did he say? Folks, what you're doing is you're becoming a partaker of that evil work. Then they say, Whoa, stop. The second you said Pastor Sam, and now you're going to bring an accusation, that's the second our conversation ended. Because if you have an issue with Pastor Sam, I don't need to know about your issue. You need to do what the Bible says. You need to go to that person privately, and you need to deal with it on that level. Then if he doesn't receive you, take a witness with you. Then you deal with it on that level. If they don't hear you, take it before the church. So Paul the apostle was saying this. He says, listen, don't listen to an accusation against an elder unless it's confirmed by two or three witnesses. And so why would the apostle tell a young minister not to listen to things or accusations being made against those serving the church's elders? Why would he tell them that? Why would he say, don't receive it? Now, we would think in our culture, listen, man, you out them. Somebody needs to tell on them. Why why would Paul feel so comfortable saying something like that? Well, because he didn't say it until the fifth chapter of 1 Timothy. But look what he says in 1 Timothy chapter 3. He describes the character that qualified those men to hold that office to begin with. He said, here's a trustworthy saying. What kind of saying? A trustworthy saying. Here's one you could take to the bank. Here's one that it, it doesn't leave room for argument. He says, whoever aspires to be an overseer, an elder, desires a very noble task. He said, now I'm going to tell you about the character of those that are going to be in that position. He says, their character is to be above reproach, to be faithful to their wife, to be temperate, to walk in self-control, to be respectable, to be hospitable, to be able to teach, not given to drunkenness not uh violent but gentle but not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children stay in obedience to him. He must do so in a manner worthy of full respect because if anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? Verse 6, he must uh, not be a recent convert or he may become conceited and fall into the same judgment as the devil. He must also have a good reputation with people outside so that he will also not fall into disgrace into the own devil's trap. And so when he said that in the fifth chapter, he says, "Listen, you know these men, because these men wouldn't be in that position to begin with unless they had that type of character." He said, "So you know these men. So unless you have multiple witnesses that can challenge the proven character of those people, do not even give an ear to anything spoken against their known character." He says, "This doesn't merely protect them, but it protects you from the judgment of God as a slanderer of the brethren, as an accuser, as a sower of discord. It protects them." from false accusation, and it protects you from finding yourself under judgment. Now, has anybody ever been guilty of doing exactly what the Bible says don't do? Slandering, speaking against a a leader, an elder, a pastor to do those things? Well, the Bible forbids that. The Bible brings you under judgment of disobedience in order to do those things. So the relevance for today is just that. Listen, if we begin to walk in that type of integrity as people, Recognizing that character, what it would do, it would elevate the responsibility of those in leadership. It would. So, if you've got a problem with leadership, what you need to do is not put people in leadership that don't have those qualifications. You hear me? Then you're not always chasing your tail, trying to fix problems that you've already established. Why? Because they look the part, or they might have had the right education, or they might have had some uh, some good experience. They might have had the right personality. Did they got the character? It's unquestionable, that's above reproach, that you're saying, you know what, man, you can accuse a person of a lot of things, but man, not them. Not, not them. They've just got too much of Jesus on the inside of them, and they've proven it over time. Now listen, you may not believe this, but I, I've had a lot of people over many years that for some reason ended up not liking me. <laughs> true, true story. True story. True story. True story. If you don't believe it, go do a search on Google or Facebook or something. It's all out there. I mean, it really is. I mean, I've been accused of so many things, but the things that they accuse me of are things that I don't care if they accuse me of. Do you hear me? They don't accuse me of preaching false doctrine. They don't accuse me of of, of being unfaithful in my life. They don't accuse me of of doing things like that. They just accuse me of the way I do things. I think you ought to do it a different way. Well, so what am I doing unbiblical? Well, you're not really doing anything unbiblical, but don't you think it'd be more effective if you did it this way? Do you really have to have an 18-foot red duct tape cross in the middle of Bourbon Street burning out at 100 decibels in every direction? I just don't like the way you do that. You're a scumbag. You're this. I hear that every week. Well, I'm okay with that. Do you hear me? Just don't question my relationship with Jesus in the process. Do you hear what I'm saying? I certify to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached to you—that uh, was preached of me—is not after man. Here's a, here's a paraphrase of the way I think when I read that. Here's how I'm making my case to you, because you know me, because you have all tasted and seen that God is good, and have in like manner been equal recipients uh, recipients to the redemptive work of the faith and the finished work of the cross because I've not merely dislabored among you, but have been birthed from the same spiritual loins, and because you have had more than an ample opportunity to see me for who I really am in Christ, you will know that the gospel that you have personally experienced and witnessed coming from me did not originate from me at all, but was divine in origin and divine in power, so that gives it an authority that transcends transcends anything that somebody coming in afterwards could offer you. That's what Paul was saying. Listen, you know it, you've seen it, you've tasted it, you've experienced it firsthand. So how on earth could you ever question that? You know the origin of it because of what it did in your life, how it brought a, a victory and how it brought a transformation. And so these infiltrating Judaizers, they established their credentials and credibility upon man. In other words, they began to falsely say that they'd been sent out by the 12, which we, we know they, they didn't. And so they began to appeal based upon their credentials that man would give to them. And they began to attack Paul in like fashion. But Paul was saying, listen, at the end of the day, I don't care who you said sit because my, my apostleship didn't come from man anyway. It wasn't because I went and spent 14 uh, uh, years, uh, or 14 years after I got saved, I went and got introduced to the apostles. At, at it wasn't because of that, that that I had the, the credibility of studying at the feet of Gamaliel. It wasn't any of those things. He said, listen, God spoke it to me, and I'm speaking it to you. It's divine Origin. So what they wanted to do is undermine the credibility of Paul, claiming their own authority that was based upon human understanding. Think about this in regards to this text, 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 12. I don't know if you've ever thought about 1 Corinthians 2 in regards to what Paul was saying about his authority, but check this out. He said, when I first came to you, somebody say, when I first came to you. And look how he addresses them as well. Dear brothers and sisters, you folks that are from the same womb, the same experience, the, the same spiritual DNA. He said, I didn't use lofty words and impressive wisdom to tell you God's secret plan. In other words, I didn't come to you like a lot of people would come to you. He said, I decided that while I was with you, I would forget everything except Christ, the one who was crucified. In other words, listen, I don't I'm determined not to know anything among you, 1 Corinthians 2, 2, except Christ and him crucified. I, I'm I don't want to Bring up my credentials about how I studied, how I was a Pharisee of Pharisees. All I'm going to come to you is, is tell you that about Christ and him crucified. He said, I came to you in weakness, timid and trembling. In verse 4, and my message and my preaching were very plain. Rather than using all these clever and persuasive speeches, he said, I relied on the power of the Holy Spirit. I did this so that you would not trust in human wisdom, but in the power of God. Folks, that's the exact same message that he brings us in Galatians 1 and 11. Yet, when I'm among mature believers, I do speak with words of wisdom, but not the kind of wisdom that belongs to this world or to the rulers of this world who are soon forgotten. No, the wisdom we speak of is a mystery of God. His plan that was previously hidden, even though he made it, for our ultimate glory before the world began. But the rulers of this world have not understood it, for if, they would, if, for if they would have, they would have not crucified our Lord. Folks, listen. Who were those rulers that wanted Jesus crucified? Who? The Pharisees, the religious rulers. And so that revelation was hidden from religious rulers. And if they had understood the divine origin of Jesus, they would not have crucified him, right? And so it's the same people with the same mentality that are showing up in Gaul to infiltrate the teaching of the Galatians years later. You hear me? He says, listen, they crucified the same rulers that are trying to drag you back into a legalistic system. He said it was the same mentality that crucified Jesus the first time, and now they're trying to put him to an open shame once again. He said this is what the Scripture means when they say, no one has eyes seen, no ear is heard, and no mind has even imagined what God has prepared for those who, Love him. He said, this is what the scriptures mean when they say. Folks, he's not specifically just talking about uh, in the great by and by. you hear me? Eyes not seen, ears not heard, neither is it even entered into the hearts of men, the things that God has prepared for those that love him. What is it that he prepared for those that love him? Salvation. Not Oh, he went away to prepare a place for me in my father's house. There's many mansions. It's not the mansion over the hilltop and all. He's talking about, listen, the eye has not seen it. They could not see it. I was here, but they didn't see me. I spoke truth, but they could not hear me. They could not even comprehend the message that I gave them, even though my life was a testimony of all of those types and shadows that they had preached. They couldn't see it. They couldn't hear it. Their mind could not even imagine what I prepared for those. That love him, but it was to us that God revealed these things by his spirit, for the spirit searches out everything and shows us God's deep secrets, for no one knows the person's thoughts except that person's own spirit, and no one can know God's thoughts except God's own spirit. In verse 12, and we have received God's spirit, not the world's spirit, so we can know those wonderful things that God has freely given to us. Don't you hear that? So Paul is de- declaring here in in First Corinthians two one through twelve, he says, "Listen, we've been given the revelation of that which was hidden in the types and shadows of the law." And, folks, you know what it screams? It screams, my credentials are not my boss, the proper human birthright or the, or the from the right tribe or because I was circumcised on the right day of the week or because I had the right teacher in Gamil. Uh, but because I heard something that was heavenly. I heard something divine from that divine one of the Holy Spirit. That's what he said. That's where my credentials are because they came from that source. He said there's a witness in the heart of the believer or that rhema when something is revealed by the Spirit of God that goes beyond human wisdom, because you've heard somebody say something, you said, "Wow, that was really good," right? But you've also heard somebody says, "Listen, that wasn't just good, man. That was God. It was something that penetrated into me, and it just didn't tickle my fancy or sound like something to be good to, to share on Facebook." Man, it was something that was uh, transcendent in truth that came into my life. Why? Didn't you know it was a divine origin? You knew it was a source. I remember uh, years ago when we did the expository teaching uh, on the book of Romans. You know, man, I spent hours and hours and hours preparing just like I, I do for Galatians. But it was interesting, you know, I, I prepare every single, we did it five days a week. So every day started way in the early morning hours, five hours of preparation for, for just about an hour long segment that we, that we broadcast live. And, you know, so a lot of work, a lot of study, a lot of research, obviously natural things. You know, God gave me a pretty decent mind, and so I, I did that study. But every once in a while, as I'm teaching, man, it would be one of those, boom, trans, uh, transcendent moments. And you could tell just by the inflection in my voice. It's like, man, I don't know where that just came from. That wasn't anything Troy Bond came up with. That wasn't anything that I read in the right commentaries or, or study to put two and two together. Man, that thing came straight off of the skillet. Folks, you can see that, but when Paul the the Apostle was preaching, man, all of it was straight off the skillet. He said, yeah, people are going to come, and they're going to give you some good truths, and they're going to give you some good facts and figures, but I'm going to give you something that's going to lower the boom on you, something that's going to transform and change everything, that's going to not just motivate you, but it's going to move you. It's going to change and transform me. Uh, Folks, that's what the anointing is. The anointing isn't something to get us hyped, amen? The anointing is something that changes us in the inside because it strikes at our very character. That's why it breaks yokes. It breaks bondages. It doesn't create another one or another hoop for us to jump through. Just like then, people ask the question about your credentials, and they want to know where you studied or where you got your information. I have people do, do that all the time to me. What, what? Hey, can you tell me what's your reading list? I have people... Send me messages and ask me that stuff. So, what's your, what, what do you read on evangelism? The Bible? Folks, I don't even, I, I refuse to even read a commentary Bible. Do you hear me? I don't want to rely on that. I don't, I, I won't even carry or read a commentary Bible. Why? Well, because you know what, when I had one, I spent more time reading the commentary than I read the Bible. Serious, true story. I said, man, I don't want no commentary. I just want want it straight off the skillet. Now, I'm all for education. I'm all for teachers. I'm all for that type of thing that, that helps. But, folks, listen, unless you pay the price and you dig into the Spirit and you allow God to speak that realization to you, folks, anybody will be able to come up the pike and offer you something else that's going to dissuade you from the truth. You've got to get to that source. Dear brothers and sisters, I want you to understand that the gospel message I preach is not based upon mere human reasoning. I received my message from no human source. No one taught me. Instead, I received it by direct revelation from Christ. Next week, we're going to get into that unveiling.